All right, lead heads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. This is episode 281. Dos Ocho Uno, which I'm sure that's not the proper way to say that in Spanish, but that's what I'm going to say. So if you guys didn't get an opportunity, make sure you go back to last uh, episode 280. That was our part seven of the Talking Lead AK Corner, 12-part series that we are doing in conjunction with Pioneer Arms Corps. And uh, we had our good buddy CJ Johnson on, and we had Andrew Brenneman with Century Arms, and we were talking about 922R compliance. So lots of good information there for you you home builders uh, on what all you need to do to make your foreign firearms compliant, and you don't get in trouble with the law. So this week, we got a really good show. We're going to do more education. We're continuing our Optics 101 classes with none other than our good buddy J-Mac, with right on optics. Hey, Matt. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Thanks for having me, boss. Yeah, man. It's been a minute. Uh, we got through the holidays. Excited to kick off the new year 2019. You and I both are getting ready for SHOT Show. That's uh, as, as our listeners are listening to this, we will be in Vegas at SHOT Show. So uh, envy that, guys. <laughs> it's really not as, as big a thing as you think it is, especially for us when we're working it. Because I never get to go around to the booths and see all the cool stuff. I rely on my friends like you, and I rely on Pepper to go and bring all the stuff to me so that I can bring it to you leadheads. So I want you leadheads to send me uh, messages on social media, Instagram, Facebook, email talkingleadgmail.com if there's something cool that you know about that's going to be at SHOT Show that you want us to cover. And we'll make sure that we do our best to get that person, that product, whatever it may be, uh, on the show. We're going to be at Buck Knives booth. That's 14504-14504. We're going to be there Tuesday through Friday. And, of course, we'll mention this on a couple of episodes. Our big interview, the one I'm really, really looking forward to, is Albert Mamprey. He is the last surviving member of Easy Company, Band of Brothers, and uh, he was a medic, so uh, he, he probably can give us some good uh, medical advice as well on how to be prepared and, and ready. Rub some, rub some dirt in it. Rub that's some dirt. That's, that's what they did back then, wasn't it? <laughs> but he, the, the HBO series Band of Brothers, did you, did you watch that? I have. Yeah, it was a great series. I actually rewatched it uh, over the past week, and uh, he's not actually one of the featured characters in that series. But I think I think there's like a cameo or something like that that they do with his uh, with him one of his characters. But uh, he is the last surviving member, and uh, it's going to be an exciting episode uh, interview with uh, Albert. Looking forward to that. And then we've got a lot of other interviews lined up as well. Uh, been working with Brooksy over at Buck Knives. Uh, I know we've got some entertainers. I think we might have some sports figures. So it's going to be exciting. We're going to be doing. The Instagram live from there. Hopefully, the signal will will prevail and we'll be able to broadcast out. Uh, but this is going to be the final show until we get back from Shot Show. So uh, make sure you guys, if you start getting the withdrawals from the show, make sure you check our social media, Instagram, Facebook, for those live feeds uh, that we're going to be doing from Shot Show. And of course, right on, right on Optics is going to be there. The official Optics of Talking Lead, J Mac. What's your booth number? 
We're 428. We're on that main big floor kind of ground level. Yeah. Nice big booth, though. We're excited. Now, this is your first first year officially there, right, as a Well, we booth? were there last year as a next booth, so we paid yeah. and had a booth, but that's kind of the let's see if you make it a few years kind of spot before we <laughs> give you a See if you're still spot. around next year. <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. So we're here. We got a got like a 10 by 20 booth, you know, which is a pretty big deal for SHOT Show, and yeah, we're stoked. We have some some really cool guests, uh, yeah. appearances, and giveaways, and it'll be a good time. Yeah, uh, you know, friend of yours, friend of mine, Charlie Melton is going to be there. So, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to have Charlie on, uh, one of the the world's premier snipers. And speaking <laughs> of snipers and things that rhyme, we've got a we've got a very special guest joining us, and he's not new to the show. He was on actually. 30 episodes ago, so episode 251, uh, we were at the Big Three East, and we introduced you leadheads to Paul Martinez. Paul is a, a Army sniper. He's an instructor. He's an author. And he was just getting ready to release his novel, When the Killer Man Comes. Paul, welcome in. Hey. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's great yeah, to be man. Back. So uh, yeah. it was very fortuitous. Because what we had this scheduled for a while, uh, J-Mac and I, uh, we're going to be talking uh, reticles today for our Optics 101 class. And uh, I was uh, I was at the uh, hospital today. I had to take Tia for a checkup. And I get this call, and I look down, and it says, Paul Martinez. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, what perfect timing. Because <laughs> we... I was like, he would be perfect for our show today. So, I mean, it was great. So, 30 episodes ago, and we're actually talking... Uh, optics and reticles, which you know is that's perfect. You're special, right in my wheelhouse, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, being in the army, they give you some pretty janky reticles sometimes, or you end up with old stuff or boring stuff, and you got to figure it out. So, yeah, seen some good, seen some bad. Hopefully, I can provide <laughs> a little insight. Well, hopefully, we can educate and provide some guidance today because there are so many different types of reticles out there. Uh, so our last one-on-one, we talked scopes, you know, trying to, you know, how to pick the best scope for your needs. Uh, we didn't really get into the reticles, and that goes that goes a long way with picking the right scope. So I wanted to uh, to get into the reticles. A couple of you leadheads had asked that we talk more specific uh, about reticles. So we're going to talk about the different kind of reticles that are out there and then how to actually use those properly, read them. Yeah, I think this... Just learning how to read it, learning how to use it. It's sort of like uh, a calculator. Yeah. You know, it's got all these functions and funky buttons, and everybody can do the basic stuff, you know, just point and click. Get the most. Yeah, you want to get the most out of your your scopes. Uh, And that goes along, you know, learning how to read that reticle properly is going to get you the most mileage out of that. But uh, always, you know, before we get into our, our topic, you know, I hear that jack wagon train rolling in, guys. Gunny, bring in that train. Hey, Ralph, Zipper Pie, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the Talking Lead Jack Wagon of the Week, so brace yourself, baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, train is stationed, and we've got a few today. We've got a big topic today, so we're going we're gonna to cut the Jack Wagon train short, but uh, we've got a few. And I think J-Mac has got one. We're going to start with J-Mac. Yeah, so right next door, I live here in Mapleton, Utah, and the, the town here, uh, just pretty adjacent to me, Provo, Utah. Uh, I had a friend that's a police officer that texted me 
and asked me if I heard about the shooting. And uh, there's a Bed Bath & Beyond just right off the highway. And a Provo police officer found himself apprehending um, a fugitive that had kind of been homeless on the run. And there was an altercation. Um, and um, that officer, Officer Joseph uh, Shinners, was shot and killed right there he he died of of complications later uh, mm. but yeah he was shot and killed and we have a hard time you know talking to my police friends where he was asking me why and mm-hmm. i said here's the deal brad you're not evil and so you can't know why you don't understand it you know what i mean so i said you yeah. should give up on trying to figure out why people do this but yeah this guy you know he he knew he was going to get caught he was surrounded and he just decided to go ahead and shoot a police officer. So he, uh, before. he was just a homeless guy that was living outside that mall or what? Was he causing trouble? It, it says that he was homeless because he was just on the on the run. Uh, my understanding is that there was. Uh, a lot he of was warrants considered, out. Yeah, he was considered a quote unquote fugitive. Um, and uh, they were tipped off where he was. I think he was kind of hiding in plain sight on the streets kind of deal, quite mm-hmm. honestly. And uh, yeah, he. He showed up to apprehend this this man, and he decided he was homeless, but he wasn't gunless apparently. So, oh, yeah, he man. shot him and killed him, and it just it was just ridiculous. This is a an officer with a one year old boy. Um, the guy was twenty nine and had a one year old, and now he's got a wife and a one year old boy that um, oh, you know man. they have to refigure out how to go about life. Man, that is that's a sad story. I hate to hear that. Yeah, so I think um, they caught this guy. They got the the murder. Yes. Okay. Yeah they they caught. They did catch him, and surprisingly, he was not injured in any way. And you know, he'll he'll await you know charges and co- his day in court. But um, he, he yeah. murdered a police officer. So one, I was surprised he he made it uninjured back to the police station. <laughs> but two, <laughs> they uh, they made it back alive. Yeah, such is life. Probably yeah. probably better for him. It would probably would have been an easier way to go to die. The path he has ahead of him is probably not a pretty one. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it puts a strain on our, our whole system, too, you know, because I'm sure this guy's got no money, can't afford an attorney. So, you know, we're all going to be paying for his criminal defense. Yeah, we'll, we'll pay for it. Yep. <clears throat> and he'll probably get some sort of, uh, you know, mental plea or something like that. Well, sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it's a terrible, but what a jackass. Yes, definitely jack wagon train worthy. And if, uh, you know, our court systems don't get him, then the gunny's going to take care of him on the jack wagon. Yes, sir. So. All right, so we've got some uh, some listener submitted jack wagons. Now let's do this one first. So Austin Whalen and Austin's good about sending in jack wagons, and he starts his email like he always does. Howdy, howdy, Lefty says since September we had vehicle break-ins in our parking lot at work. After two of my coworkers were broken into and one of them twice, I bought and installed two uh, trail cams on both sides of the parking lot. And glad to say we caught one. And the images attached, and he sent me some images here of his trail cam <laughs> uh, catching this guy. Uh, let's see where he said. And glad to say we caught it. In the, the images attached, the dude first breaks the car window, don't know whose car it was, then stops to take a piss, and then reaches into the car for a bag. He runs to his car while going through the bag, I guess, and eventually sees the red infrared lights from the trail cam, like a deer in the headlight. Then he drives off. I got the police to come and take my footage. They were impressed by quality and loved it. That same day, they identified the jack wagon by his tag plates and picked him up. 
Good job, Austin. Way to go, man. You just uh, put a criminal behind bars. Said, I wish I had his name. That's my jack wagon, car burglars, and even other D-bags who thinks they that they can get away with it. Leadhead Austin. So very good, uh, Leadhead. And he says, P.S., sorry for the dick pic. Because <laughs> <laughs> the guy's whipping it out, pissing right in front of the, the cam. So it's hilarious. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. Think- injury. I think you gotta be desperate or stupid to be trying to move like that at somebody's place of work. I think cameras are so cheap now. Yeah, it, it takes they take no support. You just put a camera there with a battery and the trail and cams. Gotcha. You know the trail cams are so, and you can easily hide those trail cams too. Oh yeah. So that that's that was smart on his part. So good job, Austin. All right, next one comes to us from, and I'm gonna butcher your last name. I'm just gonna say it's Matt. E. I think it's Etchweddle. E-I-C-H-W-E-D-E-L. Etchweddle? I don't know. So this is from Matt, and it's anti-gun Chicago alderman Ed Burke. Uh, Ed was charged with extortion, and I guess they had found 23 guns in his office. You want to you wanna take this, uh, this one, Paul? Yeah, I, I read about this guy, I think, <laughs> was this last week this happened? Yeah, it's pretty recent, yeah. Yeah, it's a classic uh, do as I say, not as I do politician right there. You know, <laughs> I think somebody forgot he's not the ruling class. He's the serving class. So he doesn't get to have all the guns and we get none. We, we decided that wasn't okay in 1776. So Right. And he's you know, it's Chicago. I mean, this is Chicago. You know, they've got some yeah. of the strictest gun laws that don't work, proven. Yeah. And obviously he knows that. That's why he's... He's got his own guns. Yeah, I wonder if it's uh, ego that made him do this, or he genuinely has safety concerns. You know, it's kind of interesting to think about. You know, if he was trying to protect himself, or if he just thought, "I like guns, and I'm this politician, and I have the power, and I can do it." Well, it's yeah, it's just like you said. You know, it's do as I say, not as I do. Um, but we're missing the thing. He was charged with extortion. <laughs> that's that's what got him. He wasn't charged with the guns. He was charged with uh, extortion. So I don't know if he had these guns illegally or, you know, if he legally had these guns, but, and these were in his office. I don't know if it's a home office or if it's, uh, you know, his uh, downtown office. Um, That's surprising. They found a bunch of them too, right? 23. Yeah. 20? Like 23, yeah. That's more than my office loadout. That's significantly (laughs) more than my office loadout. Agreed. Let's see what it says here. It says, uh, after the company struggled to have its permits approved, agreed to steer business to Burke's firm. This is his extortion thing. Um, so all of her permits, he was extorting money out of these companies to give to get their permits to them. Uh, that's, gotcha. the, that's the classic with politicians, man. Uh, this is, but in almost in an almost Leland Yee-like twist, when the feds raided the allegedly corrupt alderman's offices, they found a longtime gun control proponent was armed to the teeth. <laughs> Federal prosecutors revealed Thursday that nearly two dozen firearms were discovered in Burke's office during their raids in November. It's still not known if the guns that were found in November were discovered at Burke's uh, Burke's ward office or city hall, but it's hard to miss the irony of a staunch gun control advocate having to turn over 23 guns as a condition of his bond. <laughs> Jeez. That is... That's just great i mean i love it yep i do too i you know when i first heard about this i completely glossed over the extortion aspect of the case probably 
I think that I might be a little jaded about Chicago politics. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought it was just solely a gun thing. It says, uh, Burke may have benefited from a special exemption. Signs posted outside City Hall prohibit anyone, even a concealed carry permit holder, from bringing a gun into the government building. But as an alderman, Burke may have enjoyed special privileges. An 1872 law designating aldermen as peace officers allows Burke to carry a weapon. State records shows the former cop has also been a licensed private detective and a licensed private security contractor since the 80s with a valid firearms control card. So, uh, I mean, there you go. I mean, he, he, he had his, he had his own license to carry and everything. I mean, he's practicing all the, the benefits of our second amendment, but yet he's fighting against those for lay people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like- so yeah, definitely Jack wagon material. There's uh, alderman or whatever he is, Burke there in Chicago. I mean, he just looks like a douchebag. I'm just looking at his picture here. It's perfect because they got a picture of him next to a no firearms um, <laughs> sign on the door as they're escorting nice. him out. That's hilarious. So thank you. Um, uh, what's your name? Matt E. And I'm sorry I butchered your last name. You'll have to send me a in uh, uh, a how to say that. Yeah, <laughs> send him a dick pic with that also. With a, yeah, no more dick pics though. So. <laughs> That was hilarious, though, the one that Austin sent in. Dude's clearly just emptying his bladder right there in in the parking lot. It's funny. All right. So unless you guys have any more jack wagons. uh, Actually, I've got one more, don't I? I killed the mood right out of the box. (laughs) Yeah, you do. I've got one more, and this goes to the TSA. A man with a gun in his carry-ons was able to board a flight from Atlanta to get this Tokyo. What? <laughs> Not just state to state. This guy went overseas. He went all the way to Tokyo. The uh, a man flying out of Hartsville, Jackson, Atlanta airport with a gun in his carry-on passed through TSA screening checkpoint without a problem and boarded his Delta flight to Tokyo. And TSA confirmed this. Uh, and they're not attributing it to the government shutdown at all. They're saying saying that has nothing to do with it. Uh, I mean, you know, some of these TSA guys are disgruntled that they haven't been paid since what mid mid December, almost a month, I guess. And a lot of the government IB. employees. I mean, these are the people you really don't want to be disgruntled. No, you really don't. I mean, that's... No, these guys need Red Bulls and a good attitude for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know yeah, this I... this shutdown's you know it's it's stressful on a lot of our you know our military. You know, everybody federally that gets a paycheck i know our good we've got some good friends that work for the federal government you know and and they still got bills to pay just like us you know that mortgage is due that mortgage is due and the clock starts ticking and you get late fees and penalties you know that add up so yeah this this isn't good they need to get their shit straight and um get the government back open and paying these people yeah i completely agree with that then we can stop sending guns to taiwan Hopefully, <laughs> in Tokyo. <laughs> Tokyo, that's right. Tokyo. In, in, does, they've Tokyo. got the X-ray machines now, though, right? Like the, you stand in the X-ray machines Some at, at Hartsville Jackson. Oh, do they have them in Atlanta now? Yeah, I believe so. I think they were there last time I went through. So I, I don't know how that guy got through with it at all. I mean, you'd have to just. Was, yeah, I don't know. That's a big. 
miss. Big miss. Big miss, yeah. Yeah, well, it I said mean, it was in his carry-on, so and the carry-ons do have the x-ray. Oh, okay, so it went through the, the belt scanner. Yeah. All right. I thought it was on person, okay. Yeah, so well, it just got cluttered up with yeah. other stuff, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. To, yeah. yeah, I can see. Could could have been, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. say what kind of gun it was or, or anything like that, but supposedly the man turned himself in. I guess he didn't realize, you know, he may have forgot he had it in his bag, and then when he was going through customs, I think that's when he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's smart, though. I wouldn't. That's probably what you got to do yeah. is turn yourself in in that situation. Absolutely. You want to be as. Especially when you're in a foreign possible. country, you know, because their laws yeah. aren't the same as here. <laughs> yeah. No, if you're in the United States, just shut your mouth and call your lawyer. You know, that's how we handle things. I think if you're in a foreign country, though, that that's not a good idea. Oh my gosh, I saw this post, I think it was on Instagram the other day, and these two lawyers, and did you say, just just shut your fucking mouth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't talk to the, here's the best uh, legal advice you could ever get, is shut your fucking mouth. (laughs) That's what what they said. It was like the whole gist of their ad. They were slick, too. That's a good, Oh yeah. it's a compelling advertisement. I liked it. It was. The one guy was standing back there smoking his cigar. Yeah, he was yep. kind of the color man. Yeah, the the lead guy would say, "And and what do you do, Jim? Take your cigar out, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> yep. Shut your fucking mouth. Ask to talk to your lawyer. That's hilarious. I love that. All right, so that's it for the Jack Wagon Train. We've got a lot to talk about, guys. Uh, we got reticles to talk about, uh, and then we want to talk to Paul about his book and what he's got coming up. He's got some interesting things." You lead heads are definitely going to want to know about. So, how do we? How are we going to start this off? What, what do you think is a good logical way to start off our reticle conversation? I guess what probably what does a reticle do? You know, what is it? What does it do? What's it for? Good. good sort of. So let's let's do that, Paul. What what is a reticle? So a reticle is your your reference point inside of your telescopic sight, you know, the rifle scope you put on top of your gun. And it can be made a lot of different ways. Um, I'm not completely sure what the newest, latest construction thing is. I believe they etch onto glass now, but they used That's to correct. use actual wires, you know, and yeah, they'd have I think some companies still use wires. Um, I think those are still used, uh, but etching seems to be the the most common now nowadays. Yeah, and that's a better manufacturing process, I think, right? It's much more robust than some skinny wires. Right. So a reticle, you know, is it's how you aim through a telescopic sight. Otherwise, you're just sort of looking out there, you know. Actually, the um, when you say that, uh, reminded me it was about four months ago, and uh, I was changing out one of the the optics on one of my dad's old rifles, it, uh, a 270 rifle, and he had just an old Tasco, you know. Uh, probably five power or something like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I mean, you could it's tell it was, it was like a 70 scope or something like that. And, uh, I was, I was changing it out to the, um, 1.5 to six right on. Is it, is it six? 1.5 to six? Is that the one? We have a one to five or one to four or one to eight. Hold on. I got oh, it right there, here. There's, we are, our, our gen ones had a, had a one and a half to six first focal plane. Yeah, so that's, that's the a, one. That's, that's the one I got right yeah. here. Yeah, so it's the one one point five to six. And uh, as I was changing that old the Tasco scope out, you know, I kind I dropped it 
and then I picked it back up to look through it, and that wire had broken. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that it was a wire all these years, you know, but that thing Sometimes lasted since like the 70s. I mean, he had it on here forever. There's old ones that were horse hair. They were literally hairs, and that's where the term cross hair cross hairs came from. Yeah, they were literally like horse hairs fitted in there, and yeah, if you had a big 338 or something and you had an old scope like that, good luck getting that thing to... To, to stay true and zero. But I'm telling you, man, he, he shot many a deer with that scope and this rifle. So, and I actually, uh, I actually shot one myself with that scope probably five or six years ago. So it, How dare you, sir. It lived its, uh, lived its life, you know. Yeah, but, I've seen some of those, those old Tascos from the 60s and 70s. They built stuff a lot different back then. I've, I've seen yeah. some that are still shooting. I'm impressed. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, one good drop, you know, I think that's why they don't make them <laughs> like that anymore. One good drop and you're done. Right, and it just snapped that wire. And uh, it's basically just a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a little pirate, what the pirates used? <laughs> yeah, a little telescope? A little telescope, yeah. A little spyglass? Yeah. Spyglass, that's what it was. Yeah. Mono, like a monocle? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I wanted to interject there. So um, the crosshairs. Which is you've got a vertical, you got a horizontal line that come together to make a point in the center, and that's typically what people will use for their reference point when shooting a target. So for for our newer shooters, our younger shooters, it's a lot like the cursor on your mouse. You know, you <laughs> you you put that that crosshairs over point what you click. want, point and click, and then you click on it. You put that with finger. your trigger. Yeah. I'm surprised somebody hasn't come out with a finger pointing. <laughs> reticle <laughs> <laughs> they should have the little mouse cursor they yeah that would be hilarious I mean, we're used they to got reticles that, that do just about everything for you nowadays except for pull the trigger so who knows but there who are knows? as many scopes are there as there are out there there's probably three times as many reticle choices oh yeah oh maybe 10 times yeah uh, yeah i mean it's and there's more and more coming every day because there's innovation, you know, in, innovative companies like Right On Optics come out with uh, with new new cross not crosshairs, new uh, reticles all the time. The one to eight, speaking of, you know, which we'll get into a little bit later. But how do you how do you know which reticle is right for you? So we you know yeah. we we're talking how you know which scope is right for you. That that goes a long way with the reticle as well because you know some people may be varmint hunting, some people may be you know just target shooting tactical shooting you've got different uh, weather conditions different lighting conditions there's all kinds of different situations that that could dictate a better reticle for your use so yeah i think that's where you have to start i think is is what am i going to do with the red well there's two ways to start most people start with what's the coolest thing or that all the cool kids are using and if that's right. what you want to do you know then then jump online and use your your computer scope or which I'll now call it forever a computer scope instead of a mouse. And <laughs> I'll figure out, <laughs> figure out, yes. figure out what you want. Otherwise, you know, are you are you doing three gun shooting? Are you are you hunting big game? Are you are you hunting prairie dog varmints? Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. important. Uh, people don't realize, you know, the reason that a duplex like the original crosshair, you know, that we all have in our mind is made that way. And, uh, and Paul can interject for sure if, I, if I'm wrong here, but it brings your eye to the point. The horizontal and vertical li lines naturally draw your eyes right to that to intersecting the point. Right. And let's talk about <laughs> yeah. the different types of reticle. You talk about duplex. 
there's different types of reticles out there that that most of the reticles are based on. Now, you know, they have these types, but then there's different variations on these types. So you've got original reticle. Uh, it's got the single and horizontal single vertical where you're talking about the the horsehairs, the original ones, the crosshairs mm-hmm. at the point. It's just that's it. You know, you just got the crosshairs, and you got the dot where those crosshairs will come and and where they intersect. There's a little you know a little dot there. Uh, you've got the German reticle, which a lot of you Call of Duty players, uh, Battlefield players, especially the new Battlefield, that German reticle is in a lot of those guns online there. Your duplex reticle, which you were talking about, uh, which is the crosshairs where you've got your posts are a little thicker, and then they get thinner as you get closer to the intersection. Mm-hmm. you got your BDC reticles, which uh, bullet drop compensation. Uh, it's a ballistic reticle. So for all the different calibers that are out there, you hear, you know, that a certain scope is rated for 223, it's rated for 308, it's rated for, you know, 762 but 39 or whatever it may be. Uh, then you got your mill dot reticles, which that's the crosshairs that come in and then you get those four uh, four dots on each of the the planes. So you got the upper horizon, the lower horizon, your right and your left. Now with you guys, the technical term, is there technical terms for the right, left, up, uh, top, bottom of your scope? No, just vertical crosshairs, horizontal crosshairs. That's that's okay. typically what we use in the military. We don't... Do you use it like the ma- mathematics where that's X, that's Y, that's Z? No. That, okay. That's too much time no. involved in that. Too much yeah. time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, you just remember remember what, what up and down is because uh, it's sort of like flying a plane. Yeah, you, know? you got your horizon... And then everything mm-hmm. above right. the horizon, then below the horizon. Exactly. So you got to figure out how you're going to communicate that. Different agencies and different people have different techniques for it. And then left and right is the same. Just you know, are you right. going to call, you know, into the wind or or, or the direction that you're going to move the scope, or are you going to call the opposite that? So you just have to decide that. Um, in, in our case, I think we we call into the wind in the military in the the United States military. But it's one of those binary things that I have to think about and write down. Right. But now we just call. Them Horizontal, vertical. Okay. And then you've got non, non-illuminated non reticles. you got illuminated reticles. And then, of course, the big one, which I'm learning right now, is the Christmas tree reticle. So, <laughs> so and that's, you know, that's the basic different types that you've got. So what kind of features do you want to, you know, consider on a reticle? I think, I think the biggest thing you have to ask yourself, the, the number one question you have to ask yourself when you're going to buy this reticle is how much time am I going to spend learning how to use this? Mm-hmm. And if that answer is very, very little time, you want a simple reticle, you know, something that's, that's very simple. And yeah, and you have to temper your expectations too. You're not going to uh, buy a super fancy reticle, read the little manual about what all the measurements are and how to use it. And then you're going to know it forever. You know, the, the more stuff you have inside your reticle, the greater amount of time you're going to have to spend training with it. And the more you want to do with that reticle or with that scope, if you want to change calibers, hunt multiple different kinds of game, uh, shoot long distance, maybe you want to do sport and competition with the same reticle, your, your training time is going to change a lot. Mm-hmm. It's going to increase greatly. So that's the first question you got to ask is how much time do I have to learn this? And if the answer is very little, I'd go with something simple. Yeah. You know, simple is always the best. You know, Keep it simple. Stupid. Um, But, you know, you ask yourself, what am I going to be using it for? Am I going to be the distance of hunting that I'm going to be using it for? Am I going to competition shooting? Am I doing long-range precision? 
Yeah. Well, and when you start thinking about it and talking about it, and, oh, I forgot. I keep wanting to say this. Uh, you mentioned that Mr. Martinez was in the Army. I think it's probably fair to say that he was an Army Ranger sniper. <laughs> Our friend Charlie does that, too. He's like, I retired from the Navy. I'm like, dude, the Navy wasn't cool. But the SEALs are cool. <laughs> you got to go ahead and add that the, point. He's like, no, I'm a, you know what I mean? I, the Navy's still Navy. not cool. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're a ranger, right? Especially if you're a ranger. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah there's, I've, I've heard it from both sides for sure. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say other than that, which thank you for your service, is uh, like the duplex, right? So if I'm in the woods and there's trees, there's vertical, there's horizontal, there's every which direction, right? So when you're looking through the trees at, say, a mule deer, do you want a whole bunch of clutter in there? It's already plenty cluttered, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why often, you know, traditional hunters, all they have is a crosshair. Um, they're guesstimating. They're hunting within range where, you know, two or three inches uh, up or down uh, isn't going to make a, an enormous difference. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what the duplex, like what if I just want to hunt big game, even if I have a mathematical mind and I can figure out the expensive, crazy reticle, is that applicable? Like, does it do me any good? And in that case, no, it doesn't. A Christmas tree reticle in the, in the woods is probably a nightmare. There's dots everywhere. You can't figure out what's what, where's my center crosshair. Cause that's what you want it to do is draw your eye to that center point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, like what you want to do with it for sure. How much time you have. Those are, those are questions that you want to have. And then, uh, like Paul said, a cool a cool thing you can do is if you want to hunt and do, say, PRS or long range shooting, you know, you can find reticles that are that work for both. Right. Like that's that's probably the military in you. <laughs> like, let's make it easy. Right. Like, I don't want to have to learn something new. I want to just know it like the back of my hand, do it mm-hmm. without thinking about it. But at some and point so in time, you're going to have to learn. You know, you're going to let you yeah. have to learn it at, some at some point, point in time. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, if yeah. you're new to this and you don't know what any of this stuff, I mean, you got dots, you got hash marks, you got stadia lines, you got circles. You're going to have to refer so, to your, your manufacturer's description of the reticle to find out what all that stuff means because everybody's yeah. going to mean something a little different potentially. Well, then maybe, maybe I should just like do a, a quick run through of what the different styles of reticles are, are good for and then we can go back and interject. Yeah, let's do that. Um, you know, so the duplex for the reasons listed earlier are great, uh, for hunting because there's not a clutter, uh, in them. That German number four, German number one reticle, uh, is, is also great for hunting. It's good for, I would say, like dangerous game hunting, something that's going to run up on you real quick, mm-hmm. uh, because it's missing the top post. So you have that bigger kind of field of view. You have, uh, mill dot reticles. Uh, my experience with the mill dot reticles, there's not really a better tool for ranging how far something is. So if you're in military, that's, you know, has one obvious application. Uh, hunters will often use a mill dot also for the same application. A mill dot's great. You can, you can decide how to range. Now, what is uh, mill dot? Explain what mill dot is. So mill dot, people a lot, a lot of times too think like it's military. I've heard a lot of people refer to it as right. military. Or it's it's actually mill radiant, uh, which actually there's a bigger word for that. Basically, there's one mill, one MRAD in between those dots. So from the center of one dot to the center of another dot, for instance, at 100 yards is 3.6 inches. And we know that. And so at 1,000 yards, the center of one mill dot to the center of another dot is then 36 inches. The math with 
with a mill dot seems desirable to a lot of people. Also, I, what do you think, Paul? Is it easier with a mill dot or easier with MOA for you? Uh, mill radians are much easier. You don't have to do any conversion. Yeah. And, and in fact, yeah. if you want to do yourself a big favor and you're just starting out in the game, mill radians are good to go. That's a good choice over MOA because it's metric. And it, yeah. if you range things in meters instead of yards, your math is so much simpler. You know, so yeah, yeah mil, I think mill radians are easier. And you say sure. MOA, yeah. uh, define that for us for our listeners. MOA. Yeah. So that's that's minute of angle. It's a, an angular unit of measure. It's uh, let's see. There's it's an inch at 100 yards, right? And then at 200 and at 200 yeah. yards, it's two inches. So it's just it's just the way you measure the image in your scope. MOA is definitely not a metric system. Yeah, uh, that's it, an American not. all the way. <laughs> Yeah, it's a memorize with the with the um, with the mill radiance. I feel like there's a real simple. It's just very simple and straightforward. With uh, MOA, I, there's some memorization that has to go in there, and some you know it's different. It's made for yards, whereas the MRAD is made for meters, which starts to matter. You know, five mm-hmm. six hundred yards. It starts to starts to make a difference. They're both great. They they both have good applications. The the applications that I see that are worthwhile aren't actually in the reticle, they're in the turrets. So, you know, traditionally you have a one-tenth uh, mil uh, click on your turret. So say at 100 yards, one click, uh, one-tenth mil click is going to be 0.36 inches at 100 yards, whereas a quarter-inch MOA click, one quarter-inch, so one click on that is going to be a quarter of an inch, mm-hmm. 0.25 or 0.26 so you can see how that starts to really that will start to grow by that thousand yard range. So, yeah. so a lot of long range shooters will prefer MOA because it's a smaller because the adjustments on the scope the way they're made are are just smaller. And so that's that becomes you know more desirable. Like at a thousand mm-hmm. yards, you know one quarter MOA clicks like two point six something inches, and it's three point six. And the reason or, you want to you want to know all this is for bullet drop. Yeah, wind drop, you know, just all those all those adjustments, which kind of I guess I get sidetracked easy. My apologies. Well, brings me to the next reticle. <laughs> Paul, you gotta <laughs> help bullet- help keep me keep him on target. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wander. I, I love to talk, so that that's my that's my issue. Yeah. So then basically, we have- to, to just to back up for a second, for those of you, this is why. Uh, MOA and mill radians are so complicated. And I say, if you're starting in the game, go with mill radians. The reason being is that, uh, you, you just divide it by 10, you know, or you divide it by whatever the number is. Yeah. And you don't have to do any math. So even for these long distance things, it's a little more difficult. Well, what's the next reticle we're doing? <laughs> so I, I, uh, it's a good, uh, segue into the bullet drop reticle or the BDC, the bullet drop compensator. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, like we have a number of them in our in our mod three line. So, uh, like say our our one to four has a bullet drop compensator that's specific to a fifty five grain five five six round. And the way that it works is I, I can sight it in at a hundred yards, and then I have lines or dots or some sort of indication marks below that that tell me um, what my drop is going to be for each. So if I sight in at 100 and then I've got a 200, 300, 400, and a 500-yard mark. So I don't have to do the math in the reticle or any of that. It's already built in there. The downside is if I'm shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 308, you know what I mean, then that, that bullet drop compensator is going to be very specific to 
to that uh, to that round, and it's not that round. It's like speed, the weight of the bullet, length of the barrel can all start to come in there. So it's a you're you're kind of sticking yourself with that specific uh, reticle on on the upside. And guys like Paul will know how this goes. You, you use what you got. So if you have a six five and you got a two two three BDC, then you just figure out how it works. It's yeah. Between these lines, it's a little under that line. It's you know what I mean. So you can use it. Um, yeah, there are, yeah, there are ways. You you just do a little bit of math, and you can take a, a BDC for something else. You figure out the math, and you'll know your you, how far out you're stepped, what yard lines you're stepped at. One of the things I like about a BDC is um, for minute a bad guy or men in a critter it, it's usually pretty good as long as you're using same weight of round and approximately the same velocity uh mm-hmm. it, you should be just fine yeah. for anything like that when you have big elevation changes or if you've got you know let's say you've got a you hunt with a 308 and you like light rounds for one animal and you like heavy rounds because you're going out to get elk you know in another situation that a bdc might not be best for you if you have big grain weight changes or bullet uh, profile changes or big altitude changes, I don't recommend people use a BDC. If you're going to yeah. use it for for one or two things, the BDCs are real good for that. Yeah, and we get this we get this comment a lot. Um, so I live uh, here in Utah, and like ground level I'm at right now at the bo- bottom of the mountains is about 4,300 feet. Well, I can go up to about 10,000 hunting. So people sight in their rifles, you know at their local place or out in the desert here. And then they go, you know, they double their elevation Yeah, and something doesn't work. And it's always the scope's fault. I swear. I don't <laughs> oh, know yeah. why, but it's, it's always the scope's fault. And, uh, and then it, but yeah, those, those are factors you have to take into consideration, you know, humidity, elevation, angle, all those kind of things. And some of them are counterintuitive, like humidity, you would say would, you know, put a drag on the bullet. There's water in the air. Sure. But humidity is counterintuitive. It's water vapor is is actually lighter than the air vapor. So a little higher humidity, your bullet's a little less friction on it. So it's good to like, you know, figure out exactly where you're going to be, what you're going to do. Right. Figure out. Yeah. And, and, you know, use again, it all comes down what's, to what's your intended use. Right. Is What's the next reticle? The next reticle after that, I would say, well, let's not skip over like, say, a red dot. Um, yeah. which isn't a reticle per se, but, but it is, it is an aiming point. You know, there's a red dot. The the intention of a red dot is I want to be able to see peripheral. You know, all I need is one quick point of aim. It doesn't mm. need to be super perfect. It's more for close, uh, close encounters under, yes. what would yeah. you say? A hundred, less than a hundred. Definitely. A yeah. Ideal less than 50 would be. And then of course, you know, I say close quarter, close quarter combat. Right. Yeah. So that I mean that might be on your if you're in the military, then that's going to be an option. If it's your home defense round, uh, that could be an option. Then obviously they work in in a low light situation differently. So yeah. um, we'll get to illuminate. And some of your your better shooters, you know, like Casey Griggs. I've seen Casey take one out and consistently, accurately at 300 yards, you know, hit targets with a just a red dot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, you know if you're a good shooter, a red dot should do you. To about six hundred with something like five five six or or three oh eight, right? You know, yeah, it's gonna take a little training, but no reason why you couldn't hit a head size or a game size target at that range with a red dot. But yeah, for pigs, for stuff in close, tight brush, dangerous game, red dots probably gonna be your best option all the way. Oh yeah. yeah, and and then moving on, and again, like say with the mill dot, we can talk more later. There's a thousand different kinds of reticles that. Um, 
that don't even have names. So they're the MOA hash marks instead of mill. So mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they're, it's, it's almost endless. I, I'm working on new reticles now with a designer and uh, my, it makes my head want to explode. I've never enjoyed hating something so much as I do <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what's next. And then I would say, you know, we have that Christmas tree style reticle, which is a fun name. Uh, everyone knows what it means, though, so it works. And describe uh, that, the, visually describe that for our listeners. Yeah, so usually you're, you always will have still your horizontal line and you'll have a vertical line from center down. But um, you're going to have what's shaped like a Christmas tree, smaller at the top, wider at the bottom, either lines or most commonly uh, dots. Like our, our 4 to 32 is a precision shooting reticle. Yeah, which I'm looking at um, right now as you're talking. <laughs> and it has, you know, two tenth mil uh, intervals in between the dots, uh, which help you to, um, to make those adjustments on the run. You know, the, the upside to that is honestly for me wind you know what i mean or follow-up shots if i send around and and i'm um, trying to figure out how to get on target that reticle lets me measure real quickly um anywhere in that area which is nice but those dots usually are intended to to account for windage that's why they get smaller towards the bottom because the farther you get out with your with your projectile you know the more the more influence everything uh starts to have on it with reference to where you're at Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's the Christmas tree reticle. It has, I mean, you could use it for just about any application you wanted to, uh, not ideal for everything, but you know, it, it works for many, many, many things. Paul, you mess with, with those kind of reticles a ton. Yeah, quite a bit. Actually, they were popular during my time in the service and, uh, you know, we, we learned a lot of different ones and, you know, a bunch of ideas came out in that time. Some of those ideas didn't make it. Some of those ideas shouldn't have and stuck around. Uh, my biggest problem with the the reticles was, you know, we started on mill dots in sniper school and then we went to a mill bar, which is like a mill dot. So you've got the up and down, the, the horizontal and vertical crosshairs and they have dots, you know, separated by one mill radian. Well, these just had lines separated by a mill radian and then you have a, a line in the middle. And we thought that's great. Let's get more lines in there so we can measure things more accurately. Mm-hmm. So to me, a Christmas tree reticle, that's the... You know, you've got measuring reticles and then you've got hunting reticles and you got easy reticles like a red dot or, or something or BDC. And, uh, the Christmas tree reticle, like the mill dot, it's, it's for measuring. You want to be able to measure wind and account for it and hold in any condition. So as far as a universal application, yeah, these reticles, they, they can apply to anything and you can even zero them in such a way for quick target acquisition by using the, the top of the, uh, some of the top of your, reticle above all that messy Christmas tree stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's way to zero, ways to zero to make that possible. But what we found was that no matter how much training time we had with uh, these reticles, you reach a, a point of complexity where you just will always inevitably make a mistake at some point in a course of fire or on a hunt or on a, a range package or something like that. And it's because you get lost in that thing because there's just so much going on. So we found that for training, it was really good for educational purposes. You know, you got a new guy and he doesn't understand the concept. You can show him anything with these, these reticles. Right. Now, in, um, in uh, episode 251, where we had you on, Paul, uh, I'm trying to think if, if you told me this off air, or I think we actually, you told this story on air of the blind shot. You remember that? Yeah, what, I do. Yep. For, for the listeners who haven't heard that episode yet, I want them to go back to listen to it, but I want you to tell that story again, would you? 
<laughs> and what okay. reticle were you using for that? Um, in this case, I was using a Leopold TMR reticle. So it's based on the old uh, mil dot reticle, but it has hash marks instead of dots. And it has half mil hash marks and it has uh, tenth mil ones on the outside. So you can measure very fine stuff, but you also have some fast acquisition and it's hollow in the middle. So it's a, the hollow crosshairs, which I, I love because yeah. once you know how small that, that hole is, you know, that's a measuring device too. And uh, it's pretty good. So in the, on this night we were going to um, apprehend some smugglers from, from Pakistan into Afghanistan. They were trying to get to Kandahar city and they were, you know, taking drugs out of the country and bringing bombs and money back in or weapons and money or fighters and money back in. Right. So this is a, these are smugglers mm. and they're supplying these uh, head honchos and the Taliban and maybe they're Taliban too. So our, our goal is to land a helicopter uh, right as they're crossing this sort of um, last chance gas station in the middle of the desert. Like if they don't stop there, they can't Point make it. No return. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, we launched this mission and me and a, a recce platoon went out about half a mile from the gas station and we were going to be the backstop. So if they blew our checkpoint or blew the gas station, truck stop, whatever, then we would try to stop them however we could. So uh, they call me up on the radio and like, hey, this guy's rolling through and we don't think he's going to stop. Well, in between, I'm sitting on top of a mountain. I'm looking across the desert at this little, you know, Haji gas station. And in between us is a mountain. Right. Right. And this guy, the the road passes behind the mountain and the guy's driving on the road. And, you know, I know I'm going to lose sight of him. So we're doing some math, me and my partner, Mike. And we're like, all right, so the road's here. And, you know, we're looking on the map. It's this many kilometers or many meters from this mountain. And then we're doing to figure out exactly the spot on the road. We figure out the vehicle speed and, uh, you know, the time of flight and all this stuff. And we come up with a good firing solution. But, you know, mind you, I'm shooting 800. We'd start tracking him at, I think, 1,300 meters in scope. And then by the time we'd calculated our firing solution, he's at about 900 meters. Mm -hmm. And he's just kind of, now he's kind of cruising through the gas station. And my platoon leader, the recce platoon leader, or platoon sergeant rather, is on the phone with our, with hire. He's like, hey, do we, are we cleared for this, our sniper to take this guy out because he's blowing our checkpoint? And they're like, we don't know. Stand by, stand by. And right as his headlights dip below the horizon, they call us back and they're like, uh, yeah, Sierra is cleared to shoot. And I can hear, you know, in my earbud, my platoon sergeant hit the mic and say negative because we can't see him. Right, he's out of sight. And I think, yeah, he's completely out of sight. And I thought, you know what, fuck it. If I can't hit, make this shot after all my training, you know, nobody can. So I pull the trigger and I'm looking at, I'm just looking at black. I'm looking at a mountain, you know, through my scope. There's nothing, <laughs> right. nothing there, nothing to see. And then we start getting reports that this car is slowing and then it's stopping and the guys get out and they got, they're trying to get the hood up. But, you know, of course, by this time, our ranger task force is hemming them up and they were questioning me like, what happened? They're like, yeah, we just had car trouble. All of a sudden, the motor just quit. So somehow, magically, miraculously, with the help of my very, very good <laughs> spotter, I managed to send a bullet, you know, 840 some meters in the blind <laughs> with one shot oh, into an engine man. block on a moving truck. Nice. Uh, and and how? what was your elevation? Um, I think I was about 300 feet above ground level yeah at the most i don't know i'm not not couldn't have been that high i was probably 150 feet above ground level and i don't know 2,000 feet above sea level max right. you know somewhere between sea level and there i'm not sure and what rifle were you using 
I was using a 300 Winchester Magnum. Nice. Was the cartridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of a Remington 700. So, uh, yeah, I definitely had the right the right caliber for the job. I just wanted to hear that story again. Thank you for telling that. <laughs> I love it. But definitely go back, uh, guys, uh, episode 251. Uh, we had Stern Defense on uh, that episode as well. You remember the, the ladies from Stern Defense? Yeah, I sure do. Those, guys, those girls were fun. Yeah. They, yeah, I remember Andrea, and I can't remember her sister's name. Yeah. Um, anyway, the sisters. <laughs> They're on that episode, too. Yep. So uh, back to our topic. Um, where were we, J-Mac? Keep us on point. We were we were at the Christmas tree reticle just kind of talking about the, you know, the uses and ups yeah, and downs. The complexity of, um, yeah. that, it, that it could be, but it could be simple as well. It just, you know, depends how you train with it. Just like any of these reticles, you know, uh, it, how you train yeah. with them. They could be multi-purpose um, scopes or reticles, but... Yeah. Um, and, you know, Paul brought up a good point about, you know, how much training do you want to do? And mm-hmm. like we mentioned Charlie earlier, and Charlie's the luckiest shot I know, right? But there's a reason he's the luckiest shot I know. The, the more you practice, the luckier you get, right? Yeah. Uh, so he can take a pretty basic reticle and do some crazy things with it because he understands how the basic reticle works and how the ballistics on his firearm uh, works so yeah if you if you want to just get good at something simple then then pick something simple if you if you don't have the or if you if you have the time then then you can pick something that can do a lot of the math and measuring uh for you and you know people get caught up with you can use that reticle ways that aren't listed there's no there's no rules and regulations for how oh, a reticle yeah. is used you know charlie told me about a time he had a duplex and you know something happened and it, it got crooked uh, inside of the scope, not a right on scope, a nice high dollar <laughs> scope. Eh, just kidding. And, uh, it's when he, he picked up off the ground. Yeah. He, this was years ago. I'll tell you that. And he, he just, you know, being the redneck he is, he just sighted it in, in like an upper right quadrant above the crosshair. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he, he still had it like a nice point. He, he used it how he needed to use it, sighted it in differently than it was intended for and made it work, you know, so you can, Kind of do what you want with it. I, I hunted for 18 years with a duplex, but I loaded all my own 33, 78 rounds. Mm-hmm. And I knew how many inches of drop I had, you know, in, in hundreds of yards. But that's just years of getting to know, you know, your scope and your reticle and, you know. Well, that it doesn't even of... have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be years even. Like if you, if you'll look at the, you know, like Hornady, here's a plug for Hornady ammunition. It's great, consistent ammunition. They have all the details on how many inches of drop you have at a mm-hmm. certain elevation, at a certain temperature. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, so you can, you know, with l- not a too much homework, you can gather quite a bit of, uh, you know, intel on, on how that bullet's going to behave and just make that decision. You know, it's about 300 yards. I'm going to have four inches of drop, five inches of drop. And then, you know, make that adjustment on an animal. Now, you know, knowing how much, how many inches that is quickly is, is the hard part. And that, that brings us maybe why the duplex is even nicer. Um, I think it sounds like we've all been hunting, you know, like how often do you have oh, yeah. 20 minutes to, to shoot that big? You're waiting all day. I, I swear the, the bigger a rack is on an animal, the smarter it is for some reason. I don't, I don't know the logic behind it, but they, they I'm know not going to comment on that. Yeah, I set it up for you, but um, you know we're out looking for big racks. Yeah, uh, they're hard to find. They're elusive. Um, 
bottom line, you don't have a lot of time. And so you don't need a whole lot of clutter. You don't need a whole lot of measurements. You need some real basic information in your head and you make that ethical shot as quick as possible. Because, yeah. you know, but, but here's what you around. don't want to do. You don't want to just go out, buy a scope, put it on your rifle, and then go hunting. You want to go to the no range, sense. and you want to you want to sight it in. You know, you yes, you want to sight it because you know you just slapping one. They don't come uh, sighted in out of the box. You know, so so you, they don't. You know, if no. you're going to want to go to the range, you're going to want to sight it in. Put several rounds down range. Uh, even after you think you've got it sighted in, put a few more just to, just to be safe. Go ahead. I think it's important to, to point out here, like, uh, you know, J-Mac was saying, you can do a lot of these different things with a lot of these different reticles, you know, and you got to sight them in first and all this. The, the key thing is whatever you're going to do next with your reticle or with your scope is what you, ha- you have to set it up for. So if you're going elk mm-hmm. hunting and you know that you're not going to shoot any further than 500, then practice 500 and in. if you're going hog hunting and you know you're going to shoot fast and close and practice shooting fast and close and yeah it's just the, common sense gonna that you're going to prepare before you go out but yeah but knowing your reticle knowing your rifle knowing your ammo uh, will give you the ability to if you need to make changes on the fly then, then you can do that especially if you have one of these christmas tree reticles that can do anything that doesn't mean that you don't need to practice everything it can do before you do it. You know, that's where we typically would make a mistake. We'd, we'd be like, oh, well, we can take this this uh, wind shot or this moving shot or this far shot. We'll make a quick adjustment using the techniques we know, mm-hmm. but it's so busy in there. Now, yeah. if you practice that shot over and over, then what you're using it for becomes much easier. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, another component, especially to the Christmas tree style reticles is, uh, let me look real quick. I have, this is probably embarrassing. I have seven ballistic apps on my phone and the Christmas tree style reticles are nice. If you're trying to make a, a one mile shot and you're trying to hit a first round impact, you know, um, you can plug this information. Let me preface by saying I've never found a ballistic app that's perfect ever. Mm-hmm. I've plugged in all the information humanly possible. They're never on, they're never perfect, but because there, there are, are some- unhuman elements that come into play, mother nature. When, yeah, well, when the shooting. guy behind the trigger plays a big part in, in how things too. play out too. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I can't human error test, and and even and people make this mistake, and and Paul can probably attribute to this. Uh, I had long range shooter guy tell me, well, I did this, that, and the other thing. I had my kestrel down at a thousand yards, and I plugged everything in, and I was like eight feet off, and I was like, well, your kestrel is telling you what, and he's like, you know what, my wind speed is, and I'm like, at your target, but how about where you are how about 500 yards how about 800 yards you know what i mean yeah so there are it's almost impossible at some point you have to practice and train and that's why i said the more you practice the luckier you get you get a feel for for what it is you know that's i think we made that point that you know you gotta you gotta practice but so they you know they've done the siding in you know all that you know they're good to go but we're we're even before they get to that because they're trying to decide you know which scope they want which reticle right which reticle that they want right here so that's what we're talking about right now so uh other things that they want to consider when choosing a scope um is the line thickness uh that gets into the subtension you want to you want to talk about subtension explain subtension what that means yeah subtensions are, are just a fancy way for saying the measurements um whether it be in between um vertical and horizontal dots whether it be 
in any way, shape, form, or fashion, the measurements, the distance between the markings mm-hmm. on Those your are scope are going to be called uh, subtensions. Yes, right. sir. And then that makes a difference on first focal plane versus second focal plane, which you guys offer both at, at Ride-On. We do. And, and again, I think you, you always find yourself af- asking what's your application. You know, if you want to do ultra long range shooting, you probably want a second focal plane scope where your reticle can stay nice and thin at max power. If you're doing 100 to 1,000 yard shooting, hunting of any kind, um, I think the first focal plane is great. You can range with it. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you don't have to do... So let me let me give you a, like a, a quick explanation. So if we're... Say we have a scope that has two minute of angle hash marks in it, and it's second focal plane. That's on full power. So you need to know that with second focal plane scopes, the given subtensions are are on full power. So if it's a 20 power scope with two minute of angle subtensions and you want to use it on less than 20 power, you have to do that math. So we come to, to 10 power. Now those same markings that look exactly the same in there are now four minute of angle mm-hmm. hash marks. So you can see how that could be problematic. Sure. Uh, and uh, even if you're hunting, you know, because, you know, the, what always happened to me as a younger hunter, I, I had a 24 power scope and I always had it on 24 power. And every time something would run out so close that mm, I couldn't see it. it. Yeah. Well, was the, the, there was such a big picture. I couldn't, I couldn't locate it. I well, had yeah, no you'd miss it in your, in your sight like, picture. You just, yeah. Yeah. But that's something to consider with regards to subtensions and, and focal planes. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think if you're shooting out past a thousand yards, second focal plane, nice thin reticle, mm-hmm. uh, inside, inside of that thousand yard mark, then, um, then you have a little more leeway on the size of your reticle and on your, your, your focal plane, you know, yeah. all of our, I think we all grew up shooting second focal plane. Uh, first yeah, focal that, planes made a, like an insurgence back like big time. Yeah, that was pretty much everything was second focal plane for a long time. I think uh, for for those of you who are like me and are more qualified to be grunts than scope builders, it, the reticle on your scope is a ruler, and the value of the markings on your ruler are going to change with a second mm-hmm. focal plane scope, um, which means that if you use your scope for measuring distances or measuring the the size of your target or anything like that, you probably want first focal plane. Yeah. And it's kind of that simple. If you want something long distance for really, really fine work on a range where you're just trying to get the most accuracy as possible uh, under the most ideal conditions, th- then you go with the second focal plane. Right. Yeah. right. I, did, I, didn't, did I switch those up? I usually No, you're, per, you're right on. Yeah, I, I you're do right that on. all the time, and he yeah. gets on to me for that. But the uh, a way that I found – to help me between first and second focal plane is that first focal plane, it puts your reticle in front of the magnification. Second focal plane puts it behind the magnification so it doesn't get bigger. They're also referred to as front focal plane and rear focal plane also. So yeah, that's a great way to, to think about it. And you know, a lot of people get, we have a lot of people call up right on and they're like, you know, I want a first focal plane scope, but it's so confusing. And I hear this a lot. And like Paul said, it's actually 100% the opposite. There's there's not an easier way to use a reticle uh, yeah. than the first focal plane. Literally, whatever those measurements are, that's what they are. You know, yeah. and we 
you know, we hear, we get lots of input from people and we've had people that are like, Hey, I was on 16 power because I'm asking them questions and I took a shot and I measured it and then I zoomed in closer and I, you know, using that measurement and I'm like, well, your measurement changed because your second focal plane. And so they're like, Oh, that's what happened. I'm like, yeah, maybe first focal plane is the better choice for you. In the, in the heat of the moment, I think that trying to measure with a, a second focal plane scope is insane <laughs> yeah. because if you dial, like, let's say you, you know what your value is at 10 power, but at 10.1 power, 10.2 power, it's a different value. So that's not what that, that's not a good application for that. You want to be a more <laughs> advanced uh, shooter if you're going to go with that. Yeah. You want to be, yeah, or you want to be doing it the type of shooting where that math doesn't matter. You need to eliminate that variable, I think, to, to really effectively use that kind of scope. If yeah. you need quick measurements at, at, and changing powers and shot adjustments for follow-up shots, you're going to have some major problems. Yeah, Especially you're going to frustrate yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. And I've done it, and I learned the math, and we took it took the scopes out, and we shot them, and yeah. it can be done, but... So, yeah, so... Uh, I think that pretty much gives them the idea on the reticles. Um, well, the, it's just like the choosing thing your scope. I would add is the illumination part, you know, is, is I think is part of that reticle. Yeah, and that's more of a feature. Decision. You know, I think that's more of a yeah. feature. So okay. um, when choosing the reticle, you know, one, you know, you're going to choose what you're going to be mounting it on, okay, your scope. So reticles and scope are hand in hand at this point. And we probably should have done this together with the scopes. Um, but. You know, really the reticle comes into choosing your scope. Like you said, most people, uh, their first scope, they're going with what looks cool or what, um, you know, Johnny the cool guys have. Johnny one shot, you know, cool guys shooting over here. I want that scope too. Um, not really considering why that guy's using that scope. But, you know, find find what you're going to mount it on. Number one, what, what kind of gun is it going to go on? You know, bolt, long range, short range, hunting, competition. Even pistols have... You know, there's scopes that that are they make for handguns as well. Um, yeah. Well, and even the caliber, you know, do you caliber? Do you need yeah. 32 power <clears throat> with your 17 HMR? You know what I mean? Right. So um, then you think about you know who's going to be using the firearm. You know, is it you? Are you buying it for your your son, your daughter, your wife? You know, whatever it may be. Um, make sure that it's going to be effective. You know, for what you're selecting, budget's going to play a big part. You know, what's your how much cash you got to lay down on this thing? Yeah, you want one of them horse reticles? You're gonna pay for it, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're gonna pay for it, all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, set your budget, and and I'm a firm believer in buy it once. So I'm I'm okay spending a little bit more, knowing that you know it's gonna be a good, solid quality scope. So you know that's another thing to consider, and then you can narrow down your options. Based on that, one, you know, price is really going to either narrow or it might open up. I mean, if you sky's the limit, then, you know, you're going to have unlimited options. But that's going to be the big thing. And then we get into features, you know, the features of that reticle, like the illumination that you're getting ready to talk about. So talk about that. Yeah, I think that I think there's a little bit of confusion about illumination, too. Sometimes people think like I can use it to to hunt at night or to shoot at night. As in the reticle somehow lights up your target or makes your target more lit. Mm-hmm. When the the actual case is, um, so it's dusk, you know, it's low light conditions, 
everything that you look out has a shadow on it so there's black lines everywhere well if your reticle is a bunch of black lines and dots or however it is and so are your targets and everything around them then it's really becomes hard to distinguish between your reticle subtensions you know and and other in the darkness and, and yeah. other items yeah yeah so the illumination just it, it gets that black on black off so that your reticle is now a different color than your background right and you can use it and again that's that that that's in that initial question what's my what's my use mm-hmm. you know if you're prairie dog hunting if you're coyote hunting yeah something like that then you know and we talked about it in the last episodes you know just to keep everyone safe like check all your local state Laws. guidelines for yeah. yeah illuminated hunting yeah and that's and, uh, a, that's something i don't that, use the illumination but it's cool to have well, it's just like you that just like you said i mean it doesn't illuminate your target it doesn't light up your target at all it's Mm-mm. just and i don't understand why it would be outlawed in in a state and outlawed for hunting because it's actually going to be more humane for the person you know the animal that you're shooting because you're going to get you know better shot that way well they so just don't want you, you hunting your, that night at well, all. yeah, and but so it, they, I mean, you, you still there's low light conditions to where it would be better to have the illumination than than to not, you know, have the illumination. Yes. Um, I think, yeah, I the, think it's for, it sort of falls under the the cop killer bullets. It's like another gun myth, you yeah, know, that exactly. your illuminated reticle is going to help you hunt at night. It's yeah, it's for low light situations not. when the target uh, doesn't contrast with the color of your reticle. So yeah, you turn the illumination on and now you can see your point of aim. All you see is your, is your reticle. Very well put. You, know, you can't see the, the target any better. You just see your, your reticle better. So I don't it's get that, but yeah, boys. I think it's exactly like he's, I think it's a bunch of uneducated, uh, knee jerk reactions that people, you know, throw laws that, uh, you know, sound good at the time, but they really, well, know. the rules are made by people that don't understand. Yeah, how the firearms work, how the weapon systems and right. optical systems yeah, work. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. So anyway, I mean, the the law is the law, so check your local. It is what laws. it is. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a feature uh, illumination. What are some other features that you can think of on a reticle? When, you know, people are looking um, for the reticles. As far as features, you know, uh, to me the. The bullet drop compensators, the Christmas tree, those are features on a reticle. Right. You know, the illuminations features on a reticle. Yeah. There are, a feature could be actual call outs. So rather than having to, you know, see how many, like uh, uh, Paul mentioned that uh, TMR reticle, which mm-hmm. is a, a cool reticle. It has just a, some hash marks, sometimes like hash mark, smaller hash mark, hash yeah. mark. Um, you know, there might be, you know, five of them. Um, so in a quick situation, you know, a, a cool feature to have is, you know, them saying this is two mils, this is four mils or two MOA, four MOA, so that you can quickly have a point to start from other than the center mm-hmm. um, to make those fine adjustments. So I don't, I don't know. I would, I think I would consider that a, a feature those, those call outs, right. Yeah. Um, those predestined call outs. And then, and then you can, you can just light up portions of your reticle also which is kind of a cool, uh, you know, feature. Uh, so instead of everything being all uh-huh. red or green, or then you can just do a center fire dot kind of thing or just center crosshairs, yeah. uh, th- things like that. So that's a, that would be you a, know, feature. It's a cool feature to have. Yeah it's, yeah, it's kind of a cool feature. So Other than um, that, everything in there is a feature. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but some other things to consider, you know, not just on your reticle, but, you know, bells and whistles on your, your scope as well you know there's some things that you you might want to consider and 
uh, one of the things that uh, Paul and I were talking off air a little bit was parallax. You know, mm-hmm. would you, you know, first off, let's define what parallax is. So maybe the scope builder should answer this, but uh, <laughs> let's get a grunt, basically, a grunt definition. We'll get yours too. We want to keep want it your, easy. Keep it simple. Exa- exactly. So if you don't understand the following explanation here, mine will probably suffice. You want your target image and, and your reticle, you know, the crosshairs to be on the same plane, which means that they're both in focus at the same time. Um, if you have not achieved parallax or if you're out of parallax, then you can't focus what you're looking at mm-hmm. in very simple layman's terms. Um, yeah. no, the way so I usually tell people is like, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, you go ahead, J-Max. I was just going to say, if you like put extend a finger out in front of yourself, I tell people, and like close an eye, like focus on your finger and you'll see everything behind it is blurry. Right. If you focus on everything behind it, your finger is blurry. Parallax is putting your finger next to the thing that you are shooting at. So it's clear. So, right. so both the reticle and the, and the image are clear, but yeah, that was a perfect explanation. You just want them on the same focal plane. I'm stealing your explanation, J-Mac. And that is a... <laughs> the finger that, thing is easy, I think. That is a feature that some scopes have and some some don't. Where, and I, Paul and I were talking about, I was like, well, you know, wouldn't most most people want that at, at long distances, you know, over, you know, 100 yards? And you were explaining to me, Paul. Yeah, I, I won't buy a scope without parallax adjustment. If it has magnification, you have to be able to adjust for parallax. Right. Even, Otherwise, you're even not at short range. Perfect. Yeah. Even at short range. I mean, you can get the job done, you know, mm-hmm. but you can get the job done point shooting too. Right. That's not what we're it trying to accomplish. It just helps you get the job done a lot more precise and a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, parallax is definitely something that you want to consider uh, as a, a function or a feature on your scope. You know, that doesn't really have anything to do with your reticle, but it does, you know, as far as focusing and being able to to shoot accurate parallax without parallax adjustment you'll never get the most out of your reticle i think perfect and i think that if you unless budget is a factor you want to scope with parallax adjustment i think unless you can't afford it then then you probably want it yeah yeah and i've seen i've seen long range shooters you know if you we've messed with it intentionally where we mess the parallax up and it will move your point of impact like if your parallax isn't just right when you're reaching out there it can it can change where where you're shooting from your parallax being correct to it being incorrect will change yeah where you impact so yeah, yeah it's important to if you if you have a scope because we have a couple scopes we have some of our like one to four powers mm-hmm. um even even a one to eight that have like a fixed parallax at a hundred yards our red dots are one magnification so they're like fixed at fifty yards so if you know you're only going to do so much with it. And you can save that money, like Paul said. If you for if you can budget for it, cool. If uh, if you know exactly what you're going to do with it, but yeah, if not, and then honestly, parallax is a really interesting feature. I won't go into it because I'll nerd out. But like our our one to eight power, the way that it's it's parallax free. There's no adjustment for parallax in it. But it's amazing out to a thousand yards, and that the technology has changed so so much. Um, I don't know how exactly that they're able to do that but higher end scopes will definitely they um, have the built-in make a parallax difference. already yeah and well well no higher like a high magnification scope should always have parallax but 
uh, you can build like our one to eight that's built right and not have the parallax adjustment and still be fine in all mm -hmm. of your different, um, you know, 100 to 800 meters or yards. Um, and that's just, you know, technology that, that gets put into there. But sure. I, I'm, I'm honestly with Paul, like if you can have it, have it, yeah. might as well have it. Yeah. yeah you know I, I agree. Mean? So it's, it's, I'm illumination is the same way for me. I don't think I've ever used it for anything, but, um, I don't mind it being there. It doesn't get in my way. It's nice yeah. to have I, in case I'll you ever needed it. I will so, say yeah. that about illumination. I've, I've had it on, I won't turn it down, but I can't think of a single time I've ever used it. Yeah. I don't know ever, when is so. the right. <laughs> you're like illumination. Yeah. Well, I'll take that. Parallax. Yeah. I'll take that. And it's one more thing you got to do too, when you're out doing whatever you're doing. Now you got to what, turn on illumination or turn off illumination. So that's yep. kind of a pain. So let's talk about, you know, we're talking about the parallax, um, how, how to properly focus your reticle. So how do yeah, you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, uh, well, that's, I like Paul's explanations and my explanation. So we'll let Paul go yeah. and then I'll go too. <laughs> yeah. um, so how to properly focus, you should have a focus ring on the back and uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, I think the way I focus my scope, I look at my target and I adjust the focus ring on the back and I blink a couple times. And if the target remains crisp and clear and my reticle remains crisp and clear, you know, right when I open my eye and right when I close my eye, then that means that everything is in focused and, and in place. What you're trying to accomplish is you want your scope to do the work, not your eye. Your eye will focus through the telescopic sight on an image that is not in focus by your telescope. Does that make sense? So yep. you don't have to have your telescope adjusted perfectly. Your eye will, will take the slack. Yeah. Yeah. But mm -hmm. after a couple rounds, you know, having your eye completely open, all the extra light pouring through that scope, that's going to fatigue you very quickly mm -hmm. and you're going to start having errors. So you want your scope to be doing the work and not your eye. I eyes fatigue so, so quickly and people don't know that. So let me ask you this. Pretty. Close, close one eye or leave both eyes open? It depends. You know, so some, shot, <laughs> okay. some shots you need full concentration on your one eye. Some shots you want both eyes open. I typically keep both eyes open all of the time. Um, That's because Paul had people shooting at him. So you want both eyes open. <laughs> yeah. Also that, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, J Mac? Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the eyes open. Like if I'm fine tuned, the only thing in the world I'm doing is trying to hit this target. I will probably close uh, my non-dominant eye. Uh, just to concentrate. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it's Keep just the chatter, you know? Yeah. So I can focus, you know, for lack yeah. of a cooler term. And, um, you know, both eyes open is a good habit to be in, um, yeah. for, for lots of, lots of reasons. But I, I think, you know, if you could be in the habit of having both eyes open and then knowing the right time was to close an eye, then you would be doing, do it right. Yeah. I think it's something in general, you should practice with your eyes open. Yeah. If, yeah. if you can, you know, it's, it's just going to help you. The other thing is when you're uh, making adjustments off your first round impact, because all your dope, all your calculations, that's just, you're good. That's what you're going to try. That's no, that's not a promise. Right. So you want to mm -hmm. be able to see as much feedback downrange as possible. Having that eye open, you know, if you're on the plates next to you in the next lane over, cause you're, you have a major windage issue, you're going to catch that with your, your left eye. That's not in the scope if that's yeah. open. So, uh, yeah. It's just one more set of eye on your target. That was just a selfish is, yeah. question on on my part. So um, I think that, that pretty much covers reticles. Uh, we've gone pretty pretty good detail on that. Uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, if we you know if you think we overlook something, send me an email talking at gmail .com. I'll get with Paul and and J Mac, and we'll get your questions answered. 
but I think that was pretty thorough. I think they did a great job. So thank you guys for taking the time. Is there anything you can think of? Do we miss anything, overlook anything that we should be should be talking about? I did want to say the on that fast focus eyepiece that he was talking about, the ring on the back ear scope. Mm-hmm. That's that's specific for each shooter, like he said. So if it's set up for you, it might not work for someone else. Mm, yeah. What I have found, you know, training, um, you know, like my kids and stuff, is I'll actually put a white sheet of paper across the house, and that's what you want. That's what you're trying to do with that particular setup with that fast focus eyepiece. You want your reticle to be crisp, just perfect, crisp and clear. Um, and that's how you'll make that adjustment uh, on that one. The sky works really good, you know, because it's a nice light mm-hmm. background. And then he hits the nail on the head. You got to blink a few times, look away. Your eyes are one of the first things to lose oxygen when you stop breathing. That's why no one should be holding their breath that's why while you they're get making the any kind of vision. shooting. Yeah, that's why you get tunnel vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a respiratory pause rather than a, a hold of breath, but. But yeah, the the white paper has has worked magic for my. I have five daughters, so everyone learns different. <laughs> and uh, again, if you guys have additional questions, make sure you send those talking at gmail I'll make sure we get those answered for you. We want to uh, we want to get caught up with Paul now. And uh, like I said, it's been what thirty episodes ago since we talked to you last. The book was just coming out. Um, That's right. Oh, we were still pre pre sales. Uh, was we weren't it, even was out. The, oh, it wasn't even out yet. So it was, no, it wasn't doing, even out. And it's t- the title of the book again is the title is When the Killer Man Comes. The full title. I can't remember the full. <laughs> I know when the Killer Man comes. And uh, <laughs> eliminating terrorists is a special operation sniper. There you yeah. go. Yeah, you got to put special ops in there. You got to put sniper in there. You got to put terrorist in there. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. those are all all the catchphrases, right? Exactly. I know exactly. In short, it's a book about me and my friends killing the Taliban. Boom. <laughs> so uh, that's that's the my pitch, you know, when Rangers are like, what's this thing about? And they seem to like that. So that's that's my go to pitch. So, so I joined up, uh, I think, right as they were discussing a surge in 2006. So they were everything was kind of ramping up, you know, and I think we were sort of waking up to the idea that this wasn't just uh, another Gulf War. Um, so that was sort of the climate. You know, we didn't really know it to the as a country. Maybe we didn't know what we were looking at. So I signed up in 2006 and I was supposed to go to Italy with 173rd. I ended up uh, in Ranger Regiment at Fort Benning instead. So instead of traveling with the army, I stayed right where I went to basic training at. You know, I just went went down the street. You're and, like, hey, uh, dude, what happened to all the traveling they promised? Yeah. Damn it. I'm like, uh, I could have gone to Italy, but, uh, you know, that's all right. So I, did, I spent about seven years in special operations doing various things, mostly working for the Rangers. Um, I got to be a, a sniper instructor very briefly for a special forces sniper course. Um, I got to compete in the use of sock sniper competition in 2010 and I got second. We lost to Delta force. So, oh, you know, I don't really nice. feel, you know, they, I, somebody. exactly. They were guys from, uh, from our unit too. Um, so it was sort of like, you know, losing to your big brother, uh, at basketball or something. You're like, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. these guys can dunk and I'm not, I'm not grown up yet. So. I got to do that. I went to Afghanistan six times and got to be, you know, being a ranger is amazing because you get to work with so many different people, you know, from, you know, third ID and 10th mountain and, and 101st and a bunch of Marine units to all soft. You know, I, I don't know if there's a, a direct action soft unit out there that I haven't worked with, you know, or a cool guy unit that, that I haven't gotten to work with. So that was really lucky. 
you know, got to do some sort of a rock star tour of Afghanistan, <laughs> uh, see everything, fight with everybody, you know, that sort of thing. So that was good. Then in 2011, um, on my fifth deployment, I had just completed the use of sock sniper competition and they had a special task force that they were standing up because we had to prepare for the drawdown in 2014 and there were still places in Afghanistan that American boots had never touched. We had never gained any kind of foothold there. And those were the strongholds for the Taliban insurgency and for, you know, the people who later on would become ISIS, the people who formerly were Al Qaeda, you know, all the Uzbeki militant stuff that that's going on, that uh, they're all in there. I mean, it's just, it's nasty. It's like a, like a den of iniquity, you know, in some of these places. So they made our task force to go and get these guys, you know, these are, spooky dudes you know spooky the guys you can't dudes. catch yeah. yeah they got the assassins and the masterminds and the the bomb makers and the the people that are really you know our equivalent of our best guys you know the taliban's best guys, best guys weird yeah, yeah they're the guys you just cannot cannot catch so yeah these weren't 19 year old jihadis with ak-47s you know these are the guys who are figuring out how to move 19 year old jihadis from first world countries across borders into into Afghanistan. So, and then implement them effectively as a fighting force. So, you know, they had some, they had some chops, that's for sure. And that's what, when the killer man comes, that's what that's about. That's about team Merrill and uh, the platoon that I was attached to. There were two of us, uh, two platoons, uh, my platoon and my sister platoon and or their sister platoon rather. And we went out and, you know, sometimes they'd send us into an area where they're like, there's between 2000 and 10,000 Taliban hill fighters here find them like well what do we do when we find them do we is there somebody we can call they're like no nobody can get in here you know we can barely get close air support in here you know so um find them take them out pretty much uh if i had to describe it in a word i'd say suicide mission we did suicide missions every night you know unless we were planning suicide missions for the next night wow i mean there's all kinds of questions that are coming to my head right now but i don't think they're appropriate but uh Uh, but you talk about all this in the book, right? So they can you yep. you get into details in the book and um, absolutely when the killer man comes and you guys can go to Barnes and Noble, you go to Amazon, you can go yep. to Google Books. Uh, do you have yep. a do you have an audio version of it uh, available? Yeah, we we did the Audible, and fortunately, I just happened to be in New York, so I was able to record for it too. So you don't have to listen to a robot or an actor. So it's you. Know, you. Um, it's me. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So you actually get yeah. to hear oh, the cool. man. Yeah. Yep. And I was actually able to do a few uh, in recording edits, um, which is the luxury of being an author. I I think the audiobook is the, the closest to what I wanted to convey 100% accurately, you know, because I got to change a few things after print. So yeah. it's a good one. I, I like, I enjoyed listening to it and I'm not a big fan of listening to myself. So yeah. I prefer audio because I hate reading. <laughs> so uh, and I've not yeah. I've not had an opportunity uh, to get your book yet. So I'm definitely going to get the uh, I'm going to download the audio version. That'd be some something great to listen to. You know, on the trip to flying out to to Vegas for Shot Show. So that's that's what I'm going to be doing. Awesome, um, man. This isn't your first attempt. Uh, this is your first book, is it? Didn't you have a couple of books before this? No, this is my first book. This is your first um, book? Okay. Yeah, the first one I wrote, and it, it's funny because I wrote a second book. Um, I, I was I was more of an assist. I was doing a co-author, ghost author sort of thing mm-hmm. for another sniper. He was in third ID. His name's Robert Turkla, and his book is called Never Fear Anything. And that 
that was interesting to write because uh, it, we we decided to base it on true stories mm-hmm. because uh, you know for safety reasons. Sure, this war is not over. And there, there's a lot of reasons, you know, but we wanted to convey the kind of things that that these guys are going through. And it was interesting to work on that because there's a distinct contrast between the way those guys feel and the way a ranger or or maybe a seal or an SF guy feels about the kind of combat they face. And it's because their posture is much different. You know, they get out, they go after the, they go after it, obviously, you know, they're fighters through and through, but, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of defensive posturing they have to do as well. You know, they have a lot of defensive tasks they have to do. And that's nerve wracking when you're sitting there waiting for it and you don't know what's going to happen. That's a lot more nerve wracking than knowing I'm walking into the most deadly place on earth because it's full of Taliban, but I'm walking in there and they don't know I'm coming and I'm going to try and sneak up on them with all my boys and we're going to, you know, give them a, a, I don't know, Sunday punch or something, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so you go kick their ass is what you're going to do. Yeah. 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 We're going to kick their ass. You're right. But, but if I had to sit and wait for somebody like that to come to me, I, that's a completely different kind of emotional anxiety that you're, you got to go through. So right. that was good. It was a good read. I think it was a lot different than, than my book, you know, and my experience. So it was fun to do that. Um, and then I helped, uh, I didn't write the book, but I helped Vincent Vargas and he was sort of trying to get the layout for his new, uh, self-help book. I sort of helped him put, put all the pieces together and do his book proposal and his chapter outlines and all that stuff. Right. So, you know, just sort of. Now you served with uh, a recent guest of ours. We had Nick Irving on. You know, Nick, oh, really? Nick uh, has, has that uh, new TV show, Master of Arms. Nice. Uh, on the Discovery Channel. Is that right? Oh. Okay. I was going to yep. say history. No, it's Discovery Channel. Oh, um, it's Discovery. So we had, we had Nick and um, the crew on talking about their new, their new TV show. And he was telling me, you know, who he served with, uh, or, you know, he was in the same uh, outfit that you were in. I was like, hey, do you know Paul? He's like, yeah, I know Paul. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Like, yeah. Really cool. Uh, yeah, Nick, me. Nick's doing some, some authoring as well. He does some fictional books. Um, but you've got yeah. another one that you're working on. You're working on a graphic novel that's coming yeah. out. And I'm a big comic book dude. I love, you know, I'm, I grew up in that genre. So, you know, I love that. So we'll talk about the graphic novel. So you the graphic novel is called Tilt Shift and I'm, I'm not actually part of the physical production of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and or the, or the creative process. I just know the, the guys that are doing it and we're, we're uh, trying to get that out, get that published, get it to as many people as we can. Um, so that's essentially the guy who wrote it. His name's Jose. And Jose, uh, his family came from Panama uh, back in the 80s during, uh, what was it? Just Cause was the Panama operation. Uh-huh. So, you know, their Noriega tried to have his little coup or whatever he did. So they came to the United States. And then years later, you know, he was working for... I don't know if he was working for Adult Swim or something like that. He was either animating or writing or something. Uh, he decided he heard this inter- interview about how guys in the military uh, aren't very bright and that we're not sending our best guys. And it just, you know, he'd heard a lot of that stuff living in New York, people running down mm-hmm. the quality of, of men and women we have in the service. And he thought, you know, that isn't true because I've seen the, the U.S. military in action in Panama and, you know, I've always looked up to these guys. So he signed up. And not only did he sign up, to be a combat cameraman, he volunteered to come and be a ranger. So he showed up with us. And I think it's chapter eight or nine in my book is when we meet Jose. He shows up and he's been under night vision once in like a parking lot back home. (laughs) And, you know, he shot his rifle at the range 
I mean, he knows nothing. Like just walking under night vision yeah. is like learning how to walk over again. Well, we took him on one of the most violent kinetic missions I've ever been on. And, you know, this guy, he saw the gauntlet, man. I mean, the absolute <laughs> gauntlet. We were chasing, you know, enemy fighters. We were blowing people up with 40 millimeter from an AC-130. I mean, was this you know, guy just like blown away or was he just like hanging on every... Oh, man. He, he was just... It was one of those situations when you saw him afterwards, like if you saw an animal that just like had run across the street and almost got hit by every car, yeah. you know, or you, you met somebody that just been through like a real bad car accident and they're just like kind of bug eyed and white right. and they're a little shaky. And, and they're, they're not like, hurt at all. They're just like, yeah, the hell and he's like, happened? this, he's like, does this always happen? And we're like, yeah, pretty much. You're going to have to get used <laughs> and to that. He's the Most cameraman. The worse. He was your camera. Yeah, he was our combat cameraman. Yep. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, even doing that looking through the lens i mean it just it's like surreal it's like it's like you're in a movie i bet so oh yeah yeah that's wow. that's what he said like listening to his experiences uh, his perspective on his perspective so this is the guy doing the graphic novel so he's actually yeah, doing this, this graphic novel so t- what what is it about what's the um it's about uh the subtitle is the quiet profession and it's about the, all these unseen things that are going on at war you know like we're imagine if you threw the game-winning touchdown pass at the Super Bowl. And before the quarterback release, you know, or you caught the pass, but before the quarterback releases it, and before you catch it, the lights go black and nobody sees it. And then everybody walks out of the stadium and is like, ah, whatever. Then nobody even knows it happened. Nobody cares, whatever. Like, that's the kind of stuff we did. You know, you'd right. you'd go out and persecute this, this uh, intel line and get these guys. And they're like, wow, we just stopped a terrorist attack in New York. Or London. Nobody ever knows it. Nobody Life ever knows goes it, on. You know, you might see a guy, you know, make a an incredible sniper shot, or you know, grab his buddy and cover him after a rocket explodes. You know, like the kind of stuff that you know most people would think you get medals for, and it's just sort of a normal thing. It so kind of sounds like. That. So I'm reading this summary. It says um, on his first Afghan deployment, young combat photographer Freddie Blythe. <laughs> Uh, is attached to the premier kill capture force in country. Follow him as he and Team Galahad fight their way through the um, Coringal Valley in search of an expert bomb maker uh, bent on spreading chaos throughout the embattled nation. So it sounds like he's just telling, <laughs> yeah, he's giving firsthand account of you know what you guys just went through. He's just kind of oh, doing yeah. it in a in a comic format. Yeah, I mean it's that real close. Cool. Yeah, and he's done a lot of he's done some TV work and some other graphic novels. So you know yeah. he's very good at at making a tale. You know, yeah. that, that's going to parallel the truth. And his art, his artist is so amazing. There, I was flipping through some of their their pages when they first showed me their project, and I thought, man, this looks exactly. Like he might as well have been sitting on the side of the mountain I was looking through my rifle scope when he painted this or drew this. Yeah. So if you guys so similar, you guys Google tilt shift. Uh, is the name of the the graphic novel the Quiet Profession, um, Cherry Red? Then it'll come up, and uh, it's a, I guess it's available for sale right now, right? It's on comics, yes, it is. Comicsology yeah. is where I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, so Comicsology is where it's available, and we're actually right now we're generating funds uh, to finish the series because comic books are very expensive to make. So yeah, you know, we're, right now we're going episode to episode or issue to issue. issue I don't to know. Issue. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, you know, that's working out. So, so I'm going to buy Comixology, show some love, but we'll be doing more. We've got some more announcements to make about that in the near future. Okay. And uh, speaking of 
announcements to make. When the killer man comes, Paul would like to give away one or two of these to our listeners. Is that right? Yeah, let's let's give away a pair. Okay, we'll give away give away two of those. So what you guys need to do to be eligible to get this is um, when I post this uh, this show, you guys go to social media, you go to Instagram, you go to Facebook, and I want you to go and follow Paul. And what are you? What's your um, social media, and I'll tag him on the post as well. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have a link there. But what is it? Uh, it's at Billy Badass three seven five. Okay, and that's for Instagram and for Facebook. Okay, at Billy Badass three seven five three seven five. Yep. Uh, go like him, follow him, and then I want you to comment on the uh, the post that I do. He's going to share it on his social media. So go to his social media and comment on it. And just uh, let him know that you appreciate him taking the time and educate you guys on some reticles. And you're looking forward to having him back. Go buy his book. It's not a requirement to get the book, but go go buy his book. Tell everybody about his book. <laughs> we really want to boost the sales on this. I'm looking forward to reading it. I mean, you've told me some things about it that are in the book, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, it sounds to me like it would make a good movie, too. So let's, let's really boost that up and maybe... Uh, Paul can get a movie made. And he can he can put me in the movie. He can put Lefty <laughs> in the movie. J Mac, would you want to be in that movie? Hells yeah! Hells to I like the it. yeah! Hells to the yeah! Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, and and then next episode, uh, we'll randomly pick two of you leadheads uh, that participate. Hashtag Billy Badass three seven five. Also, I want you to do that too. So those are the requirements. And you're going to get an autographed uh, autographed copy, right? That's right. Okay. Yep. There you go. Very cool. So um, now, you know, we might as well continue our giveaways. And as the Leadheads know, we're doing an EDC Pocket Dump Rewards Program. We're doing that with Buck Knives, Streamlight, and FLEOA, Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. And uh, we're giving away a, and it's a package deal. So uh, in that package includes the uh, Buck Knives 722 Blue Line Spitfire. And it's a really cool, it's got an American flag with the blue line on it. And Streamlight is including a Protac HLX. And there's another version of that as well. So there's a couple of different versions. Uh, and then Defy Watches, you're going to get a Battlefield watch from defy watches which is being provided by fleoa our good buddy bill over at fleoa is uh putting that in the package almost 300 dollars worth of product that you're going to get we're giving 10 of these away we've given two away so far we're giving five to civilians five to our sheepdog and what you do is you just go out and let your your local law enforcement fire department ems uh, your first responders, just let them know how much you appreciate what they're doing for the community and thank them for the service. And if they allow, you know, don't be a douche about it. Don't be pushy. Take a selfie, post that. And I'd like them to be in their, their uniform. I had a couple of you guys submit some things where you're like at the gym with them or something like that. I mean, I could grab my, uh, you know, my uncle Bob over here, uh, and take a picture with him and say he was a police officer, but I trust you guys. I mean, I know you're not, you're not, you're not trying to dupe me. Uh, but I would prefer them to be in uniform uh, of some sort and uh, just do all the hashtags that we've talked about in the previous episodes. You tag Talking Lead, you tag Streamlight, you tag Buck Knives, you tag Fleoa Bill H, and then you hashtag those also. And uh, just put a caption on there. I mean, that's that's really all you got to do. Post it, and uh, we're just randomly going through and picking 
five civilians, and then five of you sheepdogs. We gave our first one away to a World War II vet, uh, Uncle Pat, who was a, a previous recipient of one of the battlefield, uh, actually it was the field watch from Defy Watches. Um, so we sent one of those to him, and then last uh, last week we gave it to Austin, uh, who sent me the dick pics <laughs> this week. <laughs> so that's his appreciation for being uh, the winner of the EDCPD, I guess. Um, so this week I'm going to pick a civilian. And the winner is, drum roll please, I wrote him down here somewhere, Doug Cross. So congratulations, Doug. You were actually the very first um, submission that we had in this in this contest. So I wanted to reward you for that. So just uh, send me an email, talkingletgmail.com, uh, with, your, with your contact information, and we'll get those sent out to you so you other guys we've got i mean is that three so of the 10 at least seven more to give away so we've got um do my math three civilians and we got four uh le's left to give out still time to do that and like i said just to remind you guys j mac and i are headed off to shot show as you're listening to this we'll be at shot show uh, this will be the uh, last show. I won't have one next week until we get back from SHOT Show, and then we're going to have all kinds of great interviews. You guys know I crank probably two of those out a week for the next four months after that with, with SHOT Show interviews. It's going to be a good time. We're going to be at Buck Knives again. Reminder, 14504. So if any of you leadheads are at SHOT Show, come by and see us. And then right on is going to be, what's your booth number again? Yeah, we got some giveaways too. We're we're booth four twenty eight. Yeah, and y'all right got on booth. y'all got some stuff going on too. What do you got going on at shot? Yeah, so we kind of broke the days up like into individual specific days. We're like Tuesday, we have a hunting day where we're doing a ten to twelve um, meet and greet with Craig and Donna Boddington. And then oh, you gotta bring him day, by, man. Let me do an interview with him. Yeah, bring we'll 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 get him over there. And then we're giving away a. Uh, some friends of mine here at Operation Pay It Forward. It's a military uh, operation that helps, you know, vets that just need to, like, get out and get up and, and remember they're awesome. They take them out hunting and do stuff, Sweet. fishing with them. But we're doing a, a Utah mountain lion hunt is being given away uh, by them. Yeah. Uh, 245, we do, like, a big game glassing kind of seminar, how to, how, to locate, how to locate them. And then we're giving away some binoculars and some other swag. Wednesday's Military Day. Uh, Ray Cash Care is a retired SEAL. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a TV host, and he does kind of mindset training now. He's there 9.30 to 11.30, I believe. Okay. And Send him over. Send this, him over, too. Yeah. I'll definitely. I've already talked to him about you. Okay. And good. then um, this guy, Charlie And he still Mountain, wanted to come uh, on the show? He still was willing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gave him all the details, too. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mr. Melton will be at the booth one to three. Yeah, he's coming. Um, you know, I know he's coming over. Yeah, Navy Seal of the Year, Purple Heart, all that kind of Bronze Star, all that goodies, and then uh, John Tegan. Yeah, yeah, seven foot tall, redneck mullet. <laughs> Can't miss him. John Tegan will be there from about four to five thirty. Oh, uh, awesome. obviously former Very cool. former Marine and and uh, Benghazi hero. Definitely and would then, want him on. So send him over to. Yeah. And then we're giving away one of Charlie's long range classes, two day class. Uh, I'll be giving away. So don't want to miss out on that. That's a pretty fun deal. Now, do you have any updates on Charlie's world record 
next shot. Um, what was it? 7,000 yards is where we're going next? We'll start at six, yeah, and just see how far we can get with under a 50 cal. Paul. Yeah, we're looking for wow. repetitive, you know, accurate. 7,000 know. yards. So we'll um, we're do some, we're going to be doing some, uh, some testing and uh, gathering some data uh-huh. this Saturday before SHOT Show. And that's an open event. Anyone can come out. So, you know, contact that's, me or Charlie or anybody and we'll, we'll get you, you to the, the place we're going to be. You going to be at the Pro Gun Club? Um, not for, yes for some, no for some other. There's We just got to go out into the desert to do what we're doing. Okay. Uh, I want to I want to go. Is, I want to go do that. Okay, I'll, I'm I'll promise I'll, I'll keep you in the loop. Yeah, you're 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 there for sure, and it's fun. We'll we'll just be doing some shooting. Other people get to shoot too. While we're gathering data, you know, we did the five thousand yard shot that gave us a lot of data. Paul, you, know, you got to come to Vegas, man. I'm yeah. looking at I'm looking at flights right now. I think I might have to come out. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the only thing I've shot seven thousand yards was a one hundred twenty millimeter mortar. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so, uh, I'm pretty interested in that, and I've got a, a three three eight Lapua Magnum build that I've never really seen what it can do. So well, it'll do. I can I can say it'll do four thousand yards, no problem. We we'll put you on four thousand yards. Bring your Lapua. Okay. Okay. I might have to do that. So all we need is I need the I need to know how big the the objective is on your scope because we have like a periscope for your scope. Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, <laughs> awesome. so you can because you, you got to have so just yeah shoot me a message or okay. Or, uh, well, you're gonna have ride-ons. You're gonna have ride-ons optics there too, so he's gonna want to check those out too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we can course. just slap one of those on for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. love it. And then um, as far as the other giveaways, um, yeah, Charlie's doing that class. And then the day no one wants to meet is Thursday, or no one wants to miss is Thursday. It's Ladies' Days. Ladies. I don't know if you guys have heard of. Yeah, Buff Cookie is uh, her huh? her tag on on Instagram. She's Uh-oh. actually it's funny. She's married to a Navy SEAL that, or sorry, an Army Ranger that was part of the whole Black Hawk Down experience. Neil Curry. She represents Ready Gunner. Is He's she known Casey here Cook? in Utah. Casey Cook. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's Buff her. Cookie. Yep. She's Buff sweet. Cookie. Yep. Okay, she'll she'll be there, and uh, you can meet and greet with her. I'll have Jamie to get Villamore. permission for that one. Yeah, you careful. I can't. I cannot say how how everyone will be dressed and what will be said. So you, you better <laughs> you better. It's Vegas though, so yeah, got yeah. that going for you. <laughs> Jamie Vilmore will be there. She's an international kind of model and a published uh, yeah published model. And then actually, she's a competitive shooter. Uh, okay. Legit. She's she's a pretty girl, and you know. We'll just post some interesting funnel pictures, all these she's... people from from your booth over to the Buck Knives booth. We'll just and... push them over to Buck Knives, yeah. And Seriously. then uh, on the Ladies' Day is a pretty pretty good giveaway. We're doing a custom uh, Cerakoted Ride-On Mod 7 4-20 and an Aero Precision AR-10 Builder Kit. So there's oh. giveaways each day. You know, there's got to be there though. So really cool people. Yeah, you have to be on site. You got to say hi. So Leadheads, uh, some autographs. If you're not going to be so, there, the, sorry, but we're going to have some <laughs> giveaways coming up with these guys. We're, we've been talking about yeah. uh, doing doing some things. We got to get this EDC pocket dump rewards going here. So you guys jump in on that, and uh, once we get that done, then uh, we're going to get some ride on, and there's some other cool stuff that we're going to be giving away as well. Keltech wants to That's jump in on some stuff, so yeah. Got lots of good stuff coming up. 
So you guys, make sure you tune in. Like I said, all this week as you're listening to this show, uh, we're going to be there 19th through the 27th is how long Talking Lead's going to be there. So uh, check our social media live. You know, Ride On's going to be doing, I'm sure you guys are going to be doing your social media lives from there as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, You'll see my ugly mug. Got got some big names going to be hanging out at Ride On booth and the Buck Knives booth. Uh, Exciting things. So... That's why this is an extra long episode to keep you guys uh, content until we get back. All right. So I think that does it. Did I talk? You know, I haven't thanked the sponsors yet. I got to thank our sponsors. So, right on. Uh, and I apologize. I didn't do it in the beginning. I was just excited to get into the show today. Uh, but yes, yeah, so obviously right on the official optics of Talking Lead. Uh, we just talked about all the cool things they got going on. Make sure you guys go to uh, rightonoptics.com and uh, follow them during, uh, during SHOT Show. Modern Spartan Systems. Don't just clean your firearms. Optimize them with Modern Spartan Systems line of cleaning, uh, lubrication, and optimizing products. And they even got products for your, your vehicles. Anything with an engine, the TVT, TVT engine oil additive. Uh, you guys know I use it in the old lead sled. And it's keeping her going well over, uh, I'm at, what, 350,000 miles? Nice. And uh, and ticking. And we use it for those long shots, too. Yes, that's well. right. Charlie's, Charlie's using it. You're using it. Um, good buddies over at Modern Spartan Systems. Check them out. They're going to they're gonna be at SHOT Show, too. So uh, we'll be hearing from them, get an update, what's going on with Modern Spartan Systems. Caltech. Uh, we had Caltech Chad on our, our last regular episode. He gave us an update of the cool things that's going on with with Keltec. They've got a new 22 long pistol that they're going to be releasing at Shot Show. Uh, really cool looking. I posted. I got one of the exclusives on that. Posted a picture of that. Uh, so go to Instagram. You can see that Facebook. And then they've got. You guys familiar with the KSG shotgun? I'm not. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Big fan. Yeah. So it's the the bullpup shotgun. It's got the double tubes. So you can load, uh, it's an ungodly amount of 12 gauge that you can load in this, but they've scaled it down. So now they've got a single tube version, um, uh, lower weight, you know, easier maneuverability. Uh, they've added a couple other features on it. Chad goes over those in the, in that episode. Uh, and the price point, uh, has been lowered a lot too. So there's, you know, less, less tech and less, uh, things like that. So it's going to be more affordable. So you guys go check that out. Uh, KeltechWeapons.com, and then uh, he's got some other things on the horizon. I think they're going to tell us about tell us about those at Shot Show. So stay tuned for that. Um, X Steel Targets, the best, most affordable AR 500 steel targets on the market today are X Steel Targets. Uh, Bud is going to try to get out there, so hopefully he will make it. We'll get Bud on, and we'll talk about some some cool stuff that they got going on. They've got some new machines, so they're able to do. Uh, s- some custom cuts on targets. So pretty much anything you can think of on a target, they- they're going to be able to do now. And I think they're actually providing the targets for Charlie for his uh, world record shot. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, we've been waiting for a while on this. They've been putting it off and putting it off. So uh, got to get got to get that shot going. So he previous he was like what five thousand twenty five yards. Is that where it was? That is correct. Yep. And he was using that shy attack round. Is that right? Four was it the four fifty eight shy attack? So he take he uses Brad Stair over at Performance Gun has a 
has a trademarked Tejas round. He he changes the I'm neck sorry. and shoulder on the case. I knew that Tejas yeah. it's a modified shot attack. Yeah, Tejas. You better, you better edit that part out. Yeah. 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 So he's been using the Tejas <laughs> round. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Awesome. Incredible round. Uh, Brad knows his stuff, but yeah, it was the four hundred eight Tejas. We were uh, fourteen second time of flight, I believe it was for uh, five thousand twenty five yards. Yeah, we were wow. forty six feet of Coriolis effect. So like. <laughs> Something like 500 inches of the earth spinning under the bullet, something like that. that is awesome. It was uh, some, some interesting math yeah. going wow. on there. So um, a lot of the, but, uh, I guess all of the talking lead sponsors are taking part in this. I mean, uh, you guys yeah. are doing the scope. Modern Spartan Systems is doing the, the lubes. Uh, X-Steel's doing the targets. Uh, it's amazing. So uh, I didn't really Killer realize that until I just said it out now. loud. What's that? Killer Man will be there as a spotter now. He'll be in. That's right. Paul's going to be there. Shoot, he's going to get trigger time. I'm going to try to. You know. yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's then, open. We, we want it. Yeah, and then, of course, Buck Knives, Streamlight. Make sure you guys go show them some love. Hit them up on social media. Let them know that you appreciate uh, what they're doing with this EDC Pocket Dump Rewards Program. I mean, that's almost three grand of product that they're putting up. Fleoa. Uh, thank Fleoa Bill uh, for all that as well. And then uh, 1776 United, Talking Lead Swag. Go there, get it. Get the Talking Lead Evil Black Assault Mugs, the Talking Leady. You get those at dip123.com forward slash Talking Lead. Better than a Yeti, the Talking Leady keeps your drinks minutes colder and hotter. Don't be a snowflake. Get your Talking Leady. <laughs> All right, guys. That does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. I hope this tied you guys over until we get back. If not, like I said, check us out on the live on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we will not disappoint. And Wednesday is when we're doing the interview with Albert Manfrey, the last surviving member of Easy Company. And you know we're going to be live on that. So make sure you tune in Wednesday. Don't have an exact time yet. That's going to happen. Paul. Again, thank you so much. Your timing was perfect today. I'm glad you reached out to me. Uh, this has been a great show, man. It went a lot longer than I uh, anticipated, but I thank you for, for taking the time and, and you know, sharing all that knowledge with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Great way to spend an afternoon. All right. And uh, J-Mac, as always, man, Optics 101 was a great, great class. And I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're going to do another one. We've got more Optics education coming. Yes, sir. I'm excited to be part of it. So thanks for thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So, guys, again, make sure you go check out Paul's social media one more time. Get that. Billy Badass three seven five on Facebook and Instagram, and Killer Man three seventy five on Twitter. And they're all linked. So if you find one, you'll find all of them. There you go. And make sure you guys take part uh, to get those autographs when the Killer Man comes. That's a right. Limited edition autograph from Tonto. <laughs> I'm not autographing them, you know, so yeah. they're going to be worth a lot more. Shoot, I hope. <laughs> Am I excluded from the giveaway? Or do I get to get in too? What's up? No, you're excluded, dude. Unless you, Damn it. I think you could probably trade him a scope for a book. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You need to talk about that. Yeah. Sounds like a good deal to me. Like All right, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And keep your firearms closer. And Billy Badass. <laughs>